I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be here sharing with you lessons I've learned, conversations I've had that will equip you to create new habits, challenge mindsets, and build relationships that will allow your family to thrive. Parents often feel a heavy burden when it comes to paying for their children's college education. Many want to provide this opportunity for their children's future. However, the high costs and uncertainty about finances can be overwhelming. Navigating tuition fees, room and board, and other expenses can feel overwhelming. This week's guest, Anne Garcia, has helped thousands of families save millions of dollars on college. She's a certified financial planner and author of How to Pay for College, a complete financial plan for funding your child's education. As a parent of twins who just graduated debt-free from college, she understands more than just FAFSAs and 529s. She also knows the emotional aspects of helping your children achieve their dreams. In our conversation today, we talk about how to talk to your kids about college in light of your family's values, the best ways to save for college, and what to consider when choosing a college. So whether you have little kids in preschool or big kids in college, this is a conversation you'll want to listen to. Welcome, Anne. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so a question we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? I would say my family's probably known for food. <laughs> we are food people. We love hosting meals. My, my, my husband's family is from Argentina, and so he loves cooking traditional Argentine foods. You know, he'll make his own sausages and chimichurri or do paella. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of a lot of food at our house. When our kids were growing up, you know, it was everything from astronaut ice cream to, well, you know, now we're in the thick of, of holiday baking and, you know, big family dinners or impromptu invite the whole neighborhood over for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I love that too, because my kids, we learned, I taught them to cook real early and they are definite foodies. I mean, most of our vacation plans and even my girls coming home from college, they're like, okay, this is what we want to eat. This is what, you know, these are the groceries you need to buy. Like everything kind of revolves around food and we, we could talk about food nonstop. So I totally get it. I and it's funny awesome. when they get older, like food is their sense of home because mine are home for the holidays yeah. now too. And it's like, okay, we're having this, this night. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, my one, my one daughter, she's like, I can't wait to have a home cooked meal. Although they, my two daughters go to the same school. So they have dinner together once or twice a week and my oldest cooks and they actually take turns cooking. I'm like, what do you mean? You, you actually cook for yourself, but they're like, it's not the same. (laughs) I'm like, okay, you mean you just want somebody else to do all the work? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the dishes too. (laughs) Yeah. Is it really the food? Yeah. So Okay, so I'm excited to talk to you because you're here to talk to us about college and not just paying for college once we've gotten there, but preparing for college. Your book is called How to Pay for College, and it's a complete guide to financial planning for your child's education. So let's talk about what we should be thinking about early on, because there may be some listeners who are like, I'm not even close to the college applying to college, thinking about college. So why do I need to pay attention to this? So let's talk about some of the benefits about thinking about this early and starting early. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing about college planning is it's never too early and it's never too late. The earlier you start, the more of an opportunity you have, not just to create choices for your child, but to shape their decision-making process in, in a way that leads to good outcomes, not just academically and socially, but also financially. I kind of break down the planning process by age, because like I said, there's it's never too early. So there's always something you can be doing at every age. To me, the really important part of college planning is financial planning for college is equal parts financial planning and parenting. Because you know, you as a parent can come up with a great plan that totally works for your family. But if you're not communicating that with your kid, then it doesn't really matter that you had that plan because their friends will be communicating with them and their friends, older siblings will be communicating with them and they will take the lead. And then you're stuck in the process of reigning it, you know, reigning things in and, and being the killer of dreams. So, <laughs> so, you know, if we wanted to divide it into some sort of age blocks, I think with really young kids, the sooner that you can start saving for college, the more work your money does. You know, if you start at saving and investing early, your money has more time to compound and grow. And, and when you're talking about college, you really have 18 years to get ready for that. You know, unlike retirement where you might work for 30 or 40 years, or even some people even work longer before they retire, you have a very short window of time to prepare for this financially. And so the sooner you start saving, the more work your money does. And the less of your actual dollars go go into it. I think, you know, so for a young kid, really best thing you can do as a young family is open a 529 account for your kid. So 529 is a dedicated college savings account. There are a lot of tax benefits to it. You know, you have tax-free growth, tax-free distributions as long as the money is used for college. A lot of states give you a tax benefit for making a contribution into their plan. So there's a lot of free money there. But for young parents, I think one of the best features is almost every 529 has a tool called a gifting page. And so if you've ever been the parent who said, stop giving my kids toys, here's an alternative that you can offer to those people who are generous with, with your kids, you know, helping them set your kids up for, for their future, for their future education. You know, on the parenting side, with really young kids, obviously, this is not an appropriate time to talk about student loans or the cost of college or, you know, that this preschool sends more kids to Harvard or Stanford than this other one. But what is really helpful to do is, you know, get parents on the same page. You know, where does college fit in your overall priorities? Is it something that is, you know, a non-negotiable? Kids are absolutely going to college. Is it an opportunity that you want to provide? Is it not something that your family values? And then where does it fit in your family budget? You know, so are you planning that you want your kids to have a choice of every college under the sun, regardless of cost? Or does your family have a set budget for college because there are other things that you, you know, that you prioritize for your dollars? So having the parents be at least a degree unified on those on those topics. And it's not to say that you have to have a hard fast, here's what we're going to do. And this is going to keep us going for 18 years. But you know, have some sense of of what it is that you that you want and you and you prioritize. And then, you know, on the parenting side, 
it, it's it's great to take, you know, take young kids to events at colleges. Maybe it's a sports event or something else, but just introduce them to the concept of college as something that you want them to want for themselves, something that's enriched your life. You know, talk about friends you met in college, things you learned in college. Once they get a little bit older, like around middle school, I think it's a great time to start introducing the concept of money because middle schoolers do have that sense of, you know, do have that that money sense. And and oftentimes this comes from the perspective of, you know, one of their friends older siblings is applying to college and so here's a good opportunity to talk about you know, us being in Oregon, the cost difference between, say, Gonzaga and Oregon State and, you know, and and what that means and what that looks like. Middle school is also a great time to look at what your budget for college looks like. So how much are we saving? What's that going to look like when our kid gets to, you know, gets to high school graduation? How much can we afford out of pocket? And are we on a path to an outcome that we will be happy with or to opportunities that we will be happy with? You know, is that four years of in-state? Is that options for colleges that cost more than your in-state college? Is it maybe community college mixed with, you know, finishing at a four-year school? It's much easier to adjust when you have time between now and college than, you know, waiting till senior year and your child has fallen in love with a certain college and you're looking at your budget saying there's no way we can make this work without without monstrous student student loans. You know, as your kid gets into high school, super helpful things to do are have a conversation with them about your budget. And I think this is, you know, the best conversations in this vein are goals-based as opposed to constraints-based. So a goals-based conversation is college is really important to us. We've been saving for it. And it's also really important to us that you're able to graduate debt-free or with a minimum of student loans. And we have saved enough that you can do, you know, that we know that's possible at Oregon State, (laughs) to name it. (laughs) And you may be able to find opportunities elsewhere that work with that budget as well. But we just want to be clear that, you know, that you have an opportunity to get through college debt-free, and that's important to us. That's a lot better framing for your kid than you can only go to a public school. Uh, But the other thing that parents need to be doing as their kids get interested in colleges is, you know, besides knowing what your budget is, every college is required to have a tool on its website called a net price calculator. And most students don't pay the full price of college. And a net price calculator, what that will do is tell you what students like you pay to attend that college in the current year. And so if you have a budget for college that you want to make sure you're tracking towards, you know, make sure that before your kid gets too far down the path on on a specific school that you understand what the cost would be. And those net price calculators, again, are a great way to to figure that out. Yeah, I like that you mentioned about um, parents having conversations. I think it's an, an ongoing conversation. I would say that when we first got married. And then when we first had kids, we had very different opinions than we do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Funny so, <laughs> yes, yes. Just, you know, whereas I think in the beginning, you're like, oh, like for us, and I know it's different for every family. Like you said, it has to do with, it has to do with their values, which is what we talk a lot about in the podcast. In the beginning, it was, we wanted to give them the world. And then it was, no, they need some skin in the game. And then there was, no, there needs to be some restrictions around this. Right. And so 
mm-hmm. we have changed how we think about it and we have included our kids on in on that conversation throughout the years we've done what you said we both came from schools with large football teams. And so we've done the tailgating. We've even done the college tours from a very young age. They were very familiar with what a college campus looks. And maybe they were too young to really, you know, obviously decide whether or not they wanted to go there, but it was always on the table. And so, yeah, I think an ongoing conversation about what's important to you, how much you're willing to spend, how much you want your kids to be a part of paying for it or not paying for it? What do you want that college experience to be like for them? I know I have some friends that are like, we don't want our kids to have to work because we want them to focus on our grades. And we're like, my kids will work because if the, they need something to fill their time with and they, it, you know, it's really good mm-hmm. practice. <laughs> we all have different exper- all, all ideas about what we want for our kids to get out of college. And I think those conversations are really important to have. Exactly. Because so much of it is about your values and education is one value, but, you know, family time and, and, you know, not spending money foolishly, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our other values and, and, and having your kids appreciate the savings and the sacrifice that you're, that you're making and, and, you know, and having them contribute to, to their future. Those are all, you know, perfectly reasonable things. There is no one, there's no one set of of correct choices. And, you know, even within, even within your own family, you might have different priorities for, for, for different kids. You know, the, the important thing is that you be intentional about it and, and be disciplined about it and, you know, and, and not, not let them get too far down the path, you know, a path that's not consistent with your family's values and priorities. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you mentioned the 529 plan. So a couple questions around that. I know for us, we were hesitant to contribute because in the beginning, we just didn't have the money to contribute. So mm-hmm. we felt like, oh, we had to contribute X amount of dollars in order for it to be worth it. Is there is there a number? Is that true? Did we Should we have just got just done what we can't could? <laughs> What's yeah. your thoughts on that? That's a great question. And I mean, when, when kids are little, who has extra you know, who has extra money, right? Yeah. Between childcare and diapers and outgrowing everything they own every three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it definitely keeps you on your toes. So so data um, to support college savings, students whose families who have saved for college, even in nominal amounts, like say 500 total dollars of savings, not only enroll in college at higher rates, but they graduate at higher rates than those whose families whose families didn't. So there isn't a right number. And obviously you can look at that and say, well, you know, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Because if I'm saving for college, I'm probably talking about college. I'm probably encouraging you to apply to college and probably, you know, making sure you're going to class and, you know, and and doing all those, doing all those, all those other things. So, so, so yes, but it, but there is always that tension of what's the right amount and how do I balance? And that's why I think, you know, for young parents, that gifting page can be fantastic because even if you're not able to contribute a lot, that can be a way to just bring in some dollars and know that there's something, you know, something there backfilling your goals for your kids because college is too expensive to just pay out of cash flow for the majority of families if you're expecting that your child will have a four-year college experience. One of the great things with 529s is most of them allow for very, very small contributions. You know, some as low as $10, some as low as $25. So just, you know, figuring out what you can scrape out of your budget, even if it's, you know, once a year on your kid's birthday, 
But at some point, you want to make sure that you get to the point where you are setting up a regular ongoing monthly contribution. And again, if it's $10 a month, $25 a month, that's fine. That all gives your kid a head start. The more savings you have, the more choices your child will have. That's not to say that if you don't save, your kid won't go to college. My son has a friend who paid $0 for college and not because she's a football player, but she did free community college for two years and she was working at Starbucks and Starbucks has a partnership program with Arizona state for their online program. And she finished her degree there and, and, you know, got a four-year degree for $0. That may not be your aspiration for your child. And if it isn't, then, you know, then you do want to save as, you know, as, as early as you can. Reality is most families start to save when their kids between five and seven years old. And there's probably a reason for that, which is that they're out transitioning from daycare to um, school and the family's, and the family's budget has, has, has freed up quite, quite a bit. Okay, so what happens if our child does not go to school and we have a 529 account? I mean, there's so many there's so many other options, whether it's an apprenticeship, whether you decide to go to a military school, or you get a scholarship. I mean, there's money out there. We'll talk about that a little bit later for merit scholarships and other kind of aid. So what happens to the money if it doesn't get used? It's a great question. And I think that's one of the big barriers for people in actually setting up a 529. The great thing with 529s is they're really, really flexible. So, you know, the easy thing for families with multiple children is you can change the beneficiary on the 529 account or transfer funds between siblings' accounts if one goes to college and one and and one doesn't. There is a new rule put into place with the Secure 2.0 Act that that goes into effect in 2024, which is that you can roll up to up to $35,000 from a 529 to a Roth IRA for the beneficiary. So one way to think of your 529 is your child's launch fund, right? Because if they don't end up going to college, then you roll those dollars over to a Roth IRA over 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 several years and Roth IRA money is money that they can access tax and penalty free. At, at any point, whether it's to buy a car, you know, have a down payment on an apartment, or leave it as their as their retirement savings and have a head start, you know, have a head start on on that. So, and then the other, you know, other things you can do with the five twenty nine, you can just change the beneficiary. So, you know, surplus money could be set aside for that, you know, for that child's children, and have you know have them have a nice have a nice head start or you know you can change it to anyone to anyone else in your family. $529 can also be used for apprenticeship programs, they can be used for community college. So virtually any education that someone might do post high school, they can use their 529 for. In fact, we have a friend whose son is going through an apprenticeship program to be an electrician and he can use his 529 to buy his tools because they're required supplies for his program. Oh, that's really good to know. And of course, you know, worst case, you take the money out, you pay the taxes and penalties. But if you distribute it to your child when they are in a low income tax bracket, the cost of doing that is is pretty negligible. I had a client who did that, you know, their um, their son didn't go to college, but he needed a car for his job. And he was a lot happier to have, you know, to pay a small tax liability to be able to access this money and, and buy a car. And then, yeah, oh, that's great. 
Okay, so what are some of those additional expenses that parents need to keep in mind that they don't anticipate? Those things that aren't listed on the websites when you do that net calculator. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, funny thing, something like 40% of families expect to take out student loans and two-thirds of students graduate with student loans. Mm-hmm. So clearly there are a lot of expenses that we're not anticipating, whether it's, you know, just that college costs more than we think it does, or there are expenses that we that we didn't plan for. You know, big ones are what housing and meal plan is included in your aid award or on the net price calculator. A lot of colleges have different tiers of housing and different tiers of meal plans that you can that you can choose from. I know with my son when he applied to college, he applied to two colleges and one used their highest cost housing and meal plan in their award um, letter and the other one used the lowest cost. And it made it look like one college was like $7,000 a year cheaper <laughs> than the other when it, you know, when it, when it really wasn't. So, so those are, you know, those are expenses that are, um, that can crop up um, even, you know, even without you thinking of it. Another big one for students who are going out of state, you know, airfare back and forth or transportation costs are not um, typically included or the estimated number is is usually not high enough for you to fly round trip three or four times a year and for parents to go to parents weekend and maybe bring some siblings along along with them you know activities aren't aren't part of what's listed on on the website you know if if you're going to a big school and want to participate in the greek system or football season tickets or basketball season tickets you know those are important parts of the college experience for a lot of for a lot of students and and so those are all things that should be considered when you look at you know when you look at your overall when you look at your overall budget all right can we talk a little bit about the difference in pricing when it comes to and this is an, an this is something that for us was a real big conversation when it came to values. So the difference between, I'm going to throw a bunch at you, but I think you know where I'm coming with this. The difference between like public versus private, the difference between a school that's a safety or, or a reach in terms of the money that you'll get. So all of these things are really, they are variables, right? So can we talk about the difference between some of those things? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I will say as a, a, so I have twins and one of mine went to a private school. One of them went to a public school. We saw a lot of different, a lot of different permutations of this. As a general rule, you know, list prices for public schools are almost always lower than list prices for private schools. And I think I said this before, very few people actually pay the published list price because most colleges are unable to enroll enough students who are willing to pay that full price. And so they discount their tuition in the form of scholarships and and grants. And, you know, public school prices are truly all over the map. You know, a lot of the cost and a lot of the cost too is driven by local housing and, and labor costs because a huge portion of what you're paying for when your kid goes away to school is room and board. And so, you know, we're on the West Coast and just among schools on the West Coast, you see tremendous differences in in those costs, you know, sometimes as high as $10,000 a year variances from, from state to state. You know, typically, so the... Um, <clears throat> 
But to talk about, you know, reach and safety schools and whatnot, let's talk a little bit about the scholarship landscape as a whole. Um, there are two types of scholarships that are offered by colleges. Some are financial aid, which is awarded on the basis of need, which means your ability to pay as calculated by the FAFSA or the CSS profile is less than the cost of attendance and the college offers you money to fill that gap. The other type of scholarships are merit scholarships, and those are scholarships that the college awards to attract students that they want to enroll. Now, every student is available, is, is eligible for scholarships. Every college offers scholarships, but not every college offers scholarships to every student. So if you want to find scholarships, you need to apply to schools that offer the type of scholarships that you're eligible for. So if you're a student with high financial need, look for colleges that are generous with need-based financial, financial aid. If you are not eligible for financial aid, if, you're, if your expected family contribution or student aid index as calculated by the FAFSA or the CSS profile is higher than the cost of attendance, then you want to look for colleges that offer merit scholarships. And, you know, oftentimes when we think of merit scholarships, we think of athletic scholarships, but really the mathletes clean up in the merit scholarships. The vast majority of merit scholarships go to students with good grades and good test scores. And I did say, and good test scores, because, you know, so many students are like, oh, everything's test optional for admissions. I'm not going to take the tests. Take the tests. You'll be eligible for more scholarships if you if you take the tests. So that was my stump speech on tests. <laughs> uh, but again, largely merit scholarships go to students with good grades and good test scores. And so if you think back to your REACH school, that's the one you're going to have a hard time getting into you are probably not going to be eligible for merit scholarships there because merit scholarships go to typically the top quartile of, of, of students at, at any given at any given college. If you there's a great website for looking at what types of scholarships colleges offer, and it's called College Data, and it's just collegedata.com. If you have a school that you're interested in, you would just type its name in, and there's a financials tab, and it tells you you know, what percent of students applied for financial aid, what percent were deemed to have financial need, and what percent of their need was filled, was met. So colleges are not obligated to give you need-based financial aid, regardless of your financial, of your financial status. It also says what percentage of students who had no financial need got a merit scholarship. And then it tells you also information about average and um, 75th percentile GPAs for students. So you can see kind of, does this college offer merit scholarships and where do I fall relative to the profile of, of the students there? Um, this is a long way of saying you're much more likely to get a merit scholarship at a safety school than at a REACH school. And in particular, not all colleges offer merit scholarships. The Ivy Leagues don't offer merit scholarships. The, the, the most selective colleges, by and large, do not offer merit scholarships. And that's because everybody there is eligible for merit scholarships somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and I and I honestly, I hate the whole safety reach language. I really have encouraged my kids. We don't use that language when we talk to them because I've just been, but it's, but I know that's the language that's used. So that's why I'm using it. But the, I want my kids to go, that's going to be a fit all around for them, period. And so those are all conversations we've had with my kids. I don't need my kids to go to Harvard because if they're in a creative field, it doesn't matter if you go to Harvard. Do you know what I mean? I don't need my kids yep. to go to Ivy <laughs> Leagues if they don't offer 
the program that would be best fit for you, right? We have this thing in our head that there's certain schools that are prestigious when in the, at the end of the day, they don't really fit your child's ambition, their the kind of culture they want. And so we really, and I encourage other families, find a culture fit, find an all-around fit. But, I, but the idea of the safety and reach helped me, for me, figure out the finance part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Is this going to be feasible? Does this make sense for us? So that has been a big part of our conversation as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's been so much research done on college outcomes. And the good news is the good outcomes from college come from college, not Mm -hmm. from some subset of of colleges. You know, college graduates as a a whole, on average, will earn a million dollars more over their lifetime. Their unemployment rate is a fraction of what it is for those without degrees. Mm -hmm. College uh, college graduates consistently score higher on ratings of life satisfaction. They have better health outcomes, you know, less type 2 diabetes, less heart disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, they live longer lives. They're more likely to get married and less likely to get divorced. And that's mm-hmm. those are all things that we as parents value for our kids. So, mm-hmm. so you know, when we're thinking about college, Think about why you want your kid to go to college. What is the adult that you're trying to create? How is this, you know, how is this consistent with your family's values versus which college do I want to be able to put on Instagram that my kid, that my kid goes to? And also, you know, my family, we're a focus group of two, you know, twins. One went to a highly selective private school. The other went to a public school that basically you sign up to go there. And they both graduated this year and they have the same job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing. You don't get paid double when you graduate. <laughs> I've heard Dave Ramsey say you don't get paid double when you graduate from a school that you paid twice as much for. Like that's not how it works. No, no. I mean, I think that there is something to be said for the networking possibilities, but in general, you're not going to see it reflected significantly and in, in your your salary. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing to think of when your kid is looking at colleges is. How do they make friends? Because those are the what you really want is for your kid to graduate from college. And and your college experience is about the relationships that you build, you know, with your peers, with your faculty, with Mm -hmm. other people around the college campus. And 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 so look at how students engage on that on that campus. I mean, my Mm -hmm. daughter fell in love with her college when we went on a tour and and the tour guide showed us the dining hall and he said every house, which is like a subset of the dorm, mm-hmm. you know, every house has their own table and that's where you sit for meals. And she's like, oh my gosh, no lunch table drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. All right. So you mentioned FASFA and CSS. So let's talk a little bit more about that. I think the big question that people have is I know I'm not going to qualify. So do I still fill those forms out? Yeah, so I think it's really helpful for I, I I think all families should fill it out for the for their students. And there's a, a couple of reasons for that. One is you might be eligible for more financial aid than you think that you are. But if you don't fill it out, you're not gonna get it. So not filing guarantees you won't get it. But there are also a lot of merit scholarships that have a need component to them. And so simply to be considered for those scholarships, you need to have filed the FAFSA or the or the profile of the school, if the school requires it. The FAFSA is also the application for student loans. So if you want your student to be able to take out a student loan, and the federal direct student loan is the only loan that they can typically take out without a cosigner, 
then you need to then you need to file the FAFSA. Personally, I think uh, you know having that student loan in your back pocket is a great parenting tool because you may have some some considerations or constraints or requirements where your child is a college student. You know, maybe that they pursue a major that would lead to a job in addition to their passion project, or they stay enrolled full-time, or that they don't get a tattoo while they're in, in college. And if they were to transgress against any of those, chances are good you don't want to fully pull the rug out from under them, but you might want to, you know, put them on the hook for a student for a student loan for their four years. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> so FAFSA, we fill it out every year. That's important. Yes, you fill it out every year. And likewise, if you attend a school that takes the CSS profile, you would fill that out um, every year. Now, FAFSA, there's there's four components to, to how it calculates a number that's now called your student aid index. It used to be called your expected family contribution, but it's largely driven by parents' income. And so, you know, if you wanted to do a back of the envelope ca calculation of what your student aid index would be, it's probably around 25% of your income. If you want to do a more complicated <laughs> calculation, you can go to my website, howtopayforcollege.com, and, and the FAFSA formula is, uh, is linked there. Right. Now, do they, you have twins, do they take into consideration that you have two going to school? Or multiple siblings? So that is a great question. In the past, both forms have asked about how many college, how many students in the family are in college at the at the same time, and they've divided your ability to pay um, by that number. So the old number was called the expected family contribution. So that's what your family is expected to contribute to mm -hmm. um, to education. This year, the FAFSA has gone through some really big changes. It's called FAFSA simplification or better FAFSA. Most of the changes are very favorable to parents, but one change is not, and that is that the FAFSA will no longer divide your ability to pay by the number of college students in your household. Now, the CSS profile continues to do that. And so, so you know, for families with multiple students, it can be beneficial for from the perspective of financial aid to look for colleges that use the CSS profile as their financial aid form. On the other hand, many colleges that only take the FAFSA do still consider the number of college students in the household when awarding their own financial aid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a student from a large family where maybe there's three or four college students that previously was eligible for a Pell Grant based on large families, you know, large number of college students or, you know, a subsidized student loan or work study might lose that eligibility because that is allocated by the federal formula, but that's not to say that their college would necessarily change the institutional right. aid that they get. And so, so just by way of clarification, a need-based financial aid package can include the, the college's own dollars, so their institutional money. It can also include federal dollars, and those federal dollars include Pell Grants, some other very specific targeted grants and student loans and, and work study. Mm -hmm. So 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 an institutional financial aid package can include all of those. It's the federal dollars where your formula is going to be going to likely to be more impacted than, right. than the institutional dollars. So the CSS tends to be for private schools? 
Yeah, there's about 250 private schools that that use it. I want to say there's a couple of public schools that use it primarily for out-of-state students. Yeah. I remember we applied to one school that had that required it and I had to pay the the money. And I'm like, you're not even going there anyways, because it's a public school. You're not allowed, to, I mean, in private school, and you're not allowed to go to a private school <laughs> unless you're paying in for it. Because we typically say, we told each child, this is how much money we're giving you and anything above and beyond that you pay for. So if you want to start applying to the private schools, then that's going to be more that you're responsible for. And so they did not, <laughs> although they did reply to like, so I went to Syracuse and that's a private school. So they did apply to that. And that's where we had to pay for that CSS fee. Mm-hmm. The FAFSA doesn't cost anything, correct? Correct. So, okay. so the first F in FAFSA is free. Free. <laughs> it's the free application <laughs> for federal student aid. And so just a heads up, when you go to do the FAFSA, don't Google it because you will end up on a bunch of websites that will charge you to file it. Mm-hmm. First F is free. Just go to studentaid.gov mm-hmm. and and all of all of your federal financial aid filings are are in there. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about real quick AP and IB classes and the role that they play when it comes to admissions and scholarships. Yeah. So so there's a lot, lot, lot about AP and IB classes. And I would say my advice as a parent, this is not as an admissions counselor or anything, is choose those classes based on your kid, not based on college. So, you know, for me, my daughter loved those colleges, loved those classes, you know, loved the advanced work, loved the you know, love the intensity of them. My son really struggled in in them. You know, both of them as college students were glad to have taken those classes. They felt it was great um, preparation for them, but we learned some important things along the way. (laughs) So, you know, for my daughter who applied to a lot of highly selective schools, having a full suite of AP or IB classes was basically table stakes to get your application looked at. It did not give her any college credit at her at her college. You know, in fact, she had to take placement tests for for several subjects despite having taken IB classes in in those topics. So, she got zero college credit, but had she not taken those classes, I'm sure she would not have gotten into the college that that she went to. My son had a really different experience. You know, he took a lot of those classes, struggled in them academically, because he was not interested in the huge workload and the intensity and and all of that. When the time came for him to apply to college, we realized that the schools that he was applying to, which he applied to two public schools, both used unweighted GPA to award merit scholarships. And so because he had taken advanced classes and gotten Bs and Cs in them, he was actually penalized in their merit scholarship formulas. And had we had we managed his schedule a little better, made a little made choices that were a little bit more more suitable to him, he would have gotten an extra twelve thousand dollars a year at the college that he ended up going to. Now he still got a very generous scholarship to that college, but you know, but but twelve thousand dollars a year is 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 a tremendous amount of of money. And, you know, and the, the other side of that is he was so frustrated in those classes. And, you know, the the number of nights he spent, you know, crying over his homework or saying things like, I'm the dumbest person in any of my classes was, I, I would I would take that back in a, you know, in, in a heartbeat. You know, I will say, like I said, it was great preparation for him. You know, the guy who failed 
high school calculus, tutored statistics in college. So, <laughs> so, you know, his story has a happy ending, but, you know, not all kids have the academic maturity to be taking those classes. On the other hand, if you are taking AP and IB classes with the intention that that will shorten your college career, you know, because many students are able to, to graduate in, in, in three years or sometimes even two years, if that's your intention, then make sure that you apply to schools that give you credit for those classes because they don't all give you credit. It is mostly public schools that give you credit, but colleges have have three, you know, have a few ways of, of doing those classes. You know, one is they give you credit towards your major. One is they just give you gen ed credits. Um, and one is that they give you placement without any credit. And then a fourth is like my daughter's experience. They say, thank you very much for taking those classes. I'm sure you'll do better here as a result. <laughs> yeah, I know there's no, there's no fast answer. That's the one thing that I continue to encourage yeah. my friends. It, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. There's some yeah. rules, but then they don't really follow the rules. And so it is a moving target for mm -hmm. sure. I mean, my, my girls, you know, they were all different. All my kids are different and they've all taken different amounts of AP classes. And so far they haven't mattered for us. So mm -hmm. far we haven't scored high enough to get them to count for anything, but, but now they're taking similar classes and they're breezing through the class because they've already covered this material. And so for them, that's a win because freshman year can be overwhelming. You're trying to fit in, you're trying to make friends, you're trying to figure out how to feed yourself in between all your classes. If you can lighten that load for that first semester, that first year, for them, that's a win, you know? So as you get into your major, you're taking major specific classes so they can focus on those classes. I took this math already. I, I, it's okay if I take it again because I'm really into my hospitality law class. It, it, it can work out, but it's also not something to put a lot of faith and hope that it's going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. <laughs> would that, yeah, would you exactly. say that's true? And, you know, but by the same token, if you're taking those classes so that your kid can graduate from college in three years, look at your the college's transfer credit policies of the colleges that you're applying to, because so often people are like, I got all these AP classes, we're going to do two years. So it doesn't matter that this costs $75,000 a year. And it's like, yeah, it does matter because you're not going to get any credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so not every school offers AP classes, which mm -hmm. I took for granted because of where we live in the school we're in. So can you take these classes online? I think you can take them online, um, but you can also sign up for the tests, even if you haven't taken the classes. I know we have in our school district, we have a number of um, comprehensive high schools, and then we also have magnet schools. And often mm -hmm. some of the magnet schools don't have a big range of AP or IB classes. And mm -hmm. those students sign up for the tests and, you know, study on their own. Khan Academy and lots of online places have have prep resources for mm -hmm. for those tests. So you can you can take the tests even if you haven't at least for AP, you can take the test if you haven't taken the classes. I don't mm -hmm. think that don't you know can. About, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Okay. So this has all been great, but what if we didn't do half this stuff <laughs> and now we're in college? What are some other ways that we can get the financial support we need? Like where do we find scholarships now? Where do we get that extra money? Or what are other things to consider in the college years or coming up to college years that can really lighten that load? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's never too early, but it's also never, never too late. So there's another group of scholarships that we, you know, that are, that don't come from colleges themselves. Those are called outside scholarships. And those are scholarships that students can apply to throughout their college years. Those are offered by any entity 
other than the college. If you're already a college student, your college will have a resources page on their website that that points out uh, scholarships. A lot of majors have their own scholarships as well. So check with your department about scholarships that are there. As a high school student, go to your high school's college and career center. You know, talk with your talk with your counselor about scholarships that you can apply to that'll help, you know, help close those those gaps. My daughter found a great outside scholarship where she got $5,000 a year for, you know, for school. She got $1,000 a year for technology and she got a corporate mentor who helped her find an internship that led to a full-time job offer when she, you know, when she graduated. So there are lots and lots of great scholarships like that out there. There are also tons of opportunities for students to manage their college costs while they're in school. The most important one is graduating in four years. <laughs> so, you know, make sure that you are on track to an on-time graduation. But, you know, within your college, look at what opportunities are out there for you to save to save money. A lot of particularly public schools will have a partnership with a local community college where you could spend a semester or a year or sometimes even two years doing your classes at the community college and all that credit transfers over to the four-year college. You're able, in most cases, to live on campus and fully participate in student life as though you were a student at the four-year college. And in states that offer free community college, that can often be combined with these programs. So those are usually called dual enrollment programs, where you're duly enrolled at the community college and the, and the four-year college, but you're paying community college rates for, for your classes. You know, students can look at things like being an RA in the dorms, you know, where, where typically you get free or at least discounted room and, and board for you know, for the year that you that you that you do that. A lot of employers have tuition partnership programs where, you know, in addition to the money that you're making, you get additional money for college or access to online colleges. And, you know, and most colleges have pretty robust online courses. And I know that's nobody's favorite way to learn, but a lot of kids are pretty adept now at learning at learning on Zoom. So, you know, it may be possible that you could do a semester or a quarter or even a year online and and save some money that way. You know, there are so many good pathways through college at literally every price point. Um that there's no, you know, there's no reason to saddle your, you know, your student or the parents with a whole bunch of debt just to to pursue one specific one specific path. All right. Well, this was great. And the good news is if you're listening to this episode and you're like, I don't have a pen and paper, I didn't write any of this down, you can get the book. (laughs) And you may also be thinking, I'm not ready for all of this, but I want to remember it. Again, it's all in the book. So I just encourage our listeners to go out and grab a copy. So thank you so much for all of this information. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Anne on howtopayforcollege.com. She's also on Facebook as College Financial Lady. I'll link to all of that, plus where you can find her book in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? Besides sharing this podcast with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways that you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. And remember, 
family culture isn't about perfect, it's about purpose.